I'm gonna trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no One second here, let me get the uh, proper microphone going. Hmm. Sorry about that, some technical difficulties starting off. There we go. All right. I think we got the proper microphone there. All right, sorry about that. It's been a crazy, crazy uh, day so far. Uh, so first of all, welcome. Thank you for uh, uh, taking some time out of your afternoon to uh, to join in with our daily Bible study. Today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4. Uh, Luke chapter 4, and uh, as the, uh, the post says here, there's a lot that happens in, in chapter 4 in very few verses. Um, but uh, as with some other things that we've looked at previously, um, we can see that uh, these are some things that we've we've covered uh, in Matthew and in Mark. Uh, but again, Luke gives us a little bit more insight into some of these things, especially Jesus's interaction at Nazareth. Uh, so we're going to look at that. Um, and before we get into all of that, as we still uh, get some people into the live stream, I want to point you to our uh, website. Loveland.Church, that's where you can find out uh, all the information that uh, you'd like to see about uh, the church that meets here in Loveland Heights. We're just on the uh, on top of the hill at Loveland and Lebanon Roads, right on the corner. You can't miss us, the Loveland Heights Church of Christ there. But on the, our website, you can also uh, listen to uh, or watch. I uh, don't know why you would want to watch. I have a face for radio. But you can listen or watch uh, the previous lessons that we've gone through in Matthew or Mark. But you can also subscribe to the podcast versions of those as well and have those delivered to your mobile device on a daily basis. Uh, we also have our sermons that are recorded on there as well. Uh, I was out of town last week, um, so I've had the opportunity to listen to uh, Brother Dave uh, Musgrave and Brother Matt Insko's lessons that they brought forth uh, on Sunday uh, evening and morning, respectively. Uh, and you can uh, listen to those as well. They're on a website, and there's also a podcast version of that as well. All right, let's go ahead and get into Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Let me just stop right there. And I want to point you to Luke's account and what he says about the time Jesus spent in the, in the wilderness. Verse 2, For forty days he was in the wilderness, 
being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. When they were ended, he was hungry. And then the devil comes to him with this turning the stone to bread. Before this happens, it would appear through Luke's account that Jesus was tempted by the devil even more than these three incidences that we see specifically here at the end of the 40 days. Um, and of course, in John's gospel account towards the end of, of his gospel, we know that not all things about Jesus's life were recorded, but the things that were were recorded so that we might know that Jesus truly is the Son of God and that he's brought about salvation for the world. Of course, that's Luke's uh, goal as well. Now, if you've ever fasted, you know that Satan works really, uh, really strongly when you're fasting and you're hungry and you're wanting that food that you're not eating. Uh, and so that is a, a way in which Satan tempts us while we're fasting. Because, of course, if you're not fasting for medical reasons, you're typically fasting for religious reasons and to reconnect uh, with God uh, through prayer, through study, um, and through that fasting, of course. It helps devote your, your mind and your attention to the Lord um, rather than the other things around you, like food. And so that's one way in which Satan would have tempted Jesus, I'm sure, during those 40 days of, of fasting and, and wandering there in the wilderness. But at the end of those days, Satan comes to him. He knows that he's hungry. He's at a weak point. And he says, I know you're hungry. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Verse 4. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority. And, uh, and uh, let me start that. To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You notice that Jesus doesn't argue with Satan. He doesn't say, you don't have authority to, to do that. You can't do that. Jesus doesn't answer in that way. He says, no, I'm not going to worship you. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So does this mean that Satan does have the ability to do this? I think it's reasonable to, to infer that, uh, because Jesus didn't say, all authority is given by God, and, and you you don't have the authority to do that. Instead, he, he approaches the worship um, situation of this. So already we have two temptations uh, for Jesus. One, fill your belly, man. I know you're hungry, but fill your belly. In verse 9, he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. By the way, Satan there is quoting from Psalm 91. Uh, and uh, in the first half of that, actually both of that, it's uh, 91, uh, 11, and 12. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So we have three temptations that Satan brings about to Jesus. And each one, Jesus overcomes. Now you notice that, uh, and we talked about this previously in, in, Mark's, or in Matthew's account, rather, that Satan uses scripture to tempt Jesus. He says, well, it says here in the Bible that you can do this, this, and this. 
And Jesus says, well, you're, you're taking those things out of context. And he says, here's what the Bible says about what you're trying to get me to do. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, these temptations of Jesus can be categorized into the three categories of sin that Peter talks about. And those are lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Those three categories of sin are the three categories that every sin can be lumped into. And so when we look at these, you look at, uh, remember, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Okay? Eat. You're hungry. That's lust of the eyes, right? You're looking at food, and, oh, I want that food. The next one is, uh, sorry, the first one is lust of the flesh. The next one is lust of the eyes. Look at all of these kingdoms. I can, I will give you these. I will give you the authorities over these if you just lay down, or uh, if you'll just worship me. For any other man, for any other man on the earth, that temptation probably would have been too much to overcome. You can have power and authority over every single nation in the world. All the money, all the jewels, all the things that come with having that authority. Jesus says, nope, I'd rather serve God. Of course, there's application that we can glean from that. I think that's pretty easy to do. Um, and then the last one there is is uh, pride of life. You know, look, I can throw you off of this. And God, God will save you. See, if Jesus would have accepted that and fallen into that temptation... Um, putting God to the test, um, he would have been guilty of sin, of course, uh, because he would have been putting God to the test, but ultimately, pride of life. So then after the, the wilderness and after the temptations that happen here, Jesus then begins his ministry. Now remember, right before this, Jesus was baptized. Jesus is baptized, he's tempted, he fasts and prays tempt, and, and is tempted during that, and then he begins his ministry. The temptations that Jesus faced both in the wilderness and throughout his life are the same temptations that we can face today, and he overcame every single one of them. He is our example in being able to overcome temptation. Now, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And he was, and, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. 
But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, where the heavens were shut up in uh, three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So this this interaction uh, with Jesus in Nazareth takes a turn really quickly. It goes from praise and wonderment at Jesus and turning quickly into wrath and anger. So Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He reads Isaiah 61. Okay, That's where he's reading from there. Um, And this moment is significant because it shows the role of the Messiah to help and redeem those who need it the most. Jesus reads that the Spirit of the Lord is upon the Lord's servant to proclaim good news to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed, to heal them. And after reading the text, Jesus tells them, as they're all looking at him, he tells them, this scripture has been fulfilled by you hearing it. That's pretty cool. From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus shows us that he's not only a savior, but he is the Messiah that has been sent from God. And he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies of deliverance. But even though these people who are in the synagogue knew the scriptures, knew the Old Testament scriptures, they knew the prophecies all about the Messiah, they still rejected Jesus' claim that he was the Messiah. Even though they all needed a savior. They rejected Jesus's anointing as the one who would bring them deliverance as the Messiah. And that rejection comes very quickly. As Jesus makes this makes this claim that that he has fulfilled through this reading this has been fulfilled he is saying i am the one that has been anointed i am the one that god has sent then they say wait isn't this joseph's son that's all they needed that's all they wanted to hear that's all they could see and so they then try to kill him they try to throw him off the cliff and you know, the application that we can, can take from this is that if we're not careful and humble with Scripture, that we can miss the truth just as these people in Nazareth did. See, they allowed their, their relationship and their knowledge of Jesus as, from his childhood to stand in the way of seeing the light, see, seeing the truth that he is presenting. Now today, any number of factors can keep us from seeing the truth that God wants us to know about his son. Could be doctrines. It could be traditions. It could be family allegiances that keep us from submitting to clear teachings from the Bible. The emotions of what we desire in this world can also keep us from accepting truth. 
our complacency with knowing the text without knowing the author of the text can keep us from enjoying the riches the text holds. So I want to challenge you on top of reading this. If you're watching this video, we're reading through this, so you're probably not going to open up the Bible and read more into it. I hope that you do. But if you'd like to build on this study of Luke chapter 4 a little bit, I want you to read Isaiah chapter 61. Look at, look at that whole chapter and note what other elements within that chapter Jesus fulfills in his life and in his teaching throughout the New Testament. Just a nice little challenge, nice little break from the New Testament. Go back to Isaiah and look at those prophecies. All right, let's go down to verse 31. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a uh, city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching. So once again, Jesus is in the synagogue teaching. For, uh, and he says, for his, uh, Luke says, For his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, or be silent, and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, the man had thrown the man down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding air in the surrounding region. And again, we talked about this uh, in Matthew and Mark's accounts. Uh, this unclean spirit that he uh, rebukes and tells him to come out. But this unclean spirit speaks up and says, "Hey, you're the son of God. You you're the holy one. What do you want from us? Have you come to destroy us?" And Jesus basically says, "Zip it." I don't want to hear from you. I don't need you spouting off things about who I am because people don't want to hear that from a demon. So he casts him out and the people are astonished that he has the power and the authority to do this. Of course, as we talked in our uh, Bible class last night, um, you know the Pharisees tried to use that and twist that to say that he was casting out demons in cahoots with Satan which is not the case. And we'll get to that here as we uh, continue through through Luke's account uh, in a couple weeks, probably. Verse 38, And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill. Now this is Simon Peter. Okay, we, we talked about this before. Um, and his uh, mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Again, why wouldn't Jesus want people to know that? Let's get let's be clear. Jesus does want people to know that in his time and in his way. That's not something, that's not good news that needs to be coming from an unclean spirit, from a demon. It needs to be coming from him and from his, uh, his followers, those who have been given authority by him to proclaim these things. Verse 42, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, 
And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. It's clear that Jesus was very popular, that his teachings, that his, that his actions, his, his, uh, his, his healing, his care, his, his uh, considerateness, and his pity and compassion on, on people was building up an audience for him. People were ready and willing to hear what he had to say. Almost too much. Too much, so much so that they didn't want to let him leave. But he says, I have to, this is why I'm here. I love Luke's account. I think Luke has so much clarity and so much, um, you know, intricacies within his writings that just give us a, a clearer picture of really what we've already read in Matthew and Mark. And I think what's beautiful about the way the Gospels are laid out within within the uh, the Bible today is that we have Matthew and Mark's accounts that are very complementary of one another, and we have Luke's account that kind of builds on what Ma- Matthew and Mark uh, wrote. And then we have John that kind of gives us this other other view, um, some other things that Jesus um, did and, and said and, and the actions and, and kind of some insights into the, the why and the how. Um, and it's really beautiful to kind of just read all these things together in harmony. If you've ever found, there are Bibles out there that exist that are um, harmony Bibles that take the gospel accounts and basically line them up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, line them up with one another so you can kind of read these things together. And that's kind of what we've been doing in our Wednesday night Bible class in taking the harmony of, of, of the Gospels and looking at the life of Christ uh, as chronologically as, as we think we can um, and, and pulling all of these different um, accounts in to look at them from a, not really a critical point of view, but more from a point of view that we can uh, learn more from it as we look at the eyewitness accounts from different angles. So um, I hope at some point you can join us for that on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. Nonetheless, I hope this study has helped uh, open your eyes a little bit about Luke chapter 4. And as I mentioned, go ahead and go back to Isaiah 61 and read that and look at some of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life and in his teachings. Um, and I hope uh, I hope that uh, is beneficial to you. Have a great rest of your evening. I hope to see you tomorrow as we look at Luke chapter 5. Have a good night. The home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears, no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe, and crown. The weather there is always fair. There is sunshine.